Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, August 22nd, 2019. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news and reading a comment from the mailbag. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's podcast by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Huai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, so let's jump into the mailbag really quickly. Earlier this week, we talked about the James Bond movie's new title, which is No Time to Die. And we uh, were wondering what Jacob Hall thought about that. He was a big, uh, or is a big Bond fan. And we asked people to write in if they knew if that uh, title had been referenced in any of the other Bond movie titles. And we got a response from somebody named Reginald Winchester Beaumont, who writes in, Attention, good sirs and madam, I will have you know that No Time to Die is not the title of a previous James Bond 007 publication written by either original creator Ian Fleming or one of the several other writers employed by his estate to continue the great English spy's adventures and daring do across various forms of entertainment media. However, you failed to note that this is the fifth James Bond 007 motion picture cinema film to feature the word die in the title. No Time to Die follows in the footsteps of Live and Let Die, Die Another Day, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Diamonds Are Forever. (laughs) So, person's... uh, Making a little joke there. All right, now back into the letter. Other James Bond 007 motion picture cinema film titles that allude to death (laughs) include You Only Live Twice, A View to a Kill, License to Kill, and The Deadly Embrace of Death. I don't remember that movie, but uh, I hope you find this educational and that you intend to read this vital correction on your electronic radio program. (laughs) Sincerely, Reginald Winchester Beaumont. So uh, thank you for that. I'm pretty sure that was just jacob hall writing in with an alias but uh no, all right. reginald winchester beaumont is definitely a real person ben <laughs> yeah he went to high school with my dad <laughs> oh oh good to know all right yeah uh maybe they saw the deadly embrace of death together in theaters <laughs> i think they did actually it was like a a, a big fraternity night out <laughs> oh man uh i can't wait for somebody to write the the fan fiction of that that encounter uh but in the meantime let's jump into the news today and most of this episode i think is going to be spent talking about the whole spider-man marvel sony 
debacle or scenario or whatever grand term you want to apply to that. So, HT, let's talk about, you know, we did a water cooler episode yesterday. There have been several updates and and responses and stuff since we uh, talked about this as it was breaking on Tuesday's episode of Slash Home Daily. So give us what Sony, how Sony responded to this whole thing. So following reports that Disney and Sony's Spider-Man deal has collapsed, uh, Sony issued a statement that basically laid blame on Disney. Uh, This statement reads as follows. Much of today's news about Spider-Man has been mischaracterized, has mischaracterized recent discussions about Kevin Feige's involvement in the franchise. We are disappointed but respect Disney's decision not to have him continue as a lead producer of our next live-action Spider-Man film. We hope this might change in the future, but understand the many new responsibilities that Disney has given him, including all their newly added Marvel properties, do not allow time for him to work on the IP they do not own. (laughs) Kevin is terrific, and we are grateful for his help and guidance and appreciate the path that he has helped us put us on, which we will continue. So this is a, a statement that they issued to The Hollywood Reporter, and then they would put it on their Twitter account as well. It seems like they are kind of trying to douse the fires that uh, this the report has uh, started and um, maintain any goodwill that Sony will still have. Uh, I will say that I didn't really react to this much in the uh, the podcast when which the news broke because we were just also shocked. But uh, I did get the feeling that the reports surfacing, this is all just like my personal opinion, by the way, uh, felt like almost a negotiating tactic from Disney and a way to sway goodwill towards them. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of Sony's response to that. And it's not a great response. It feels very passive aggressive, but I do somewhat feel sympathy for Sony in that they, you know, were approached with a deal that was a little bit ludicrous, 50-50 co-financing deal that uh, would uh, would have resulted in a... um, Disney and Sony getting equal amount of uh, uh, the rewards from the films, but um, it's yeah, it's uh, not a great statement, I would say. Okay, so I had a question about that, and I wonder if either of you can answer this. I'm not uh, an entertainment lawyer; I don't know the the specifics of how all of this stuff works, but I th- I'm wondering if the 50/50 co-financing option that Disney was seeking here. Does that actually mean that they get 50% of the profits on the back end? Have we seen that anywhere? Because I think that's an assumption that a lot of us are making, and and I certainly made it. And then I I just don't know if that's actually accurate. Do either of you know if that's if that's really how this works? I'm also not an entertainment lawyer, so I can't completely um, <laughs> uh, answer you. But yeah, I did make that assumption because it seemed like the natural uh, sort of progression of of logic, but mm-hmm. it's yeah. possible that the co-financing deal is doesn't equate to whatever the gross is um, that Disney yeah, and I mean, Sony will pull from that. Right, and, and I think you know it, it makes sense. Um, I just didn't know for sure because I haven't seen that language like written by anybody with authority, and I just didn't want to incorrectly make that assumption, but I, I think all of us have made that assumption, and I, mm-hmm. I think, um, I don't know, maybe if we have any entertainment lawyers who are listening, uh, maybe write in and, and let us know if that's actually how it I works. mean, no, no one no one has really clarified otherwise. I think that if that weren't the case, someone would have, like, come out by now and, like, pointed their finger and been like, ah, uh, excuse me. 
yeah. Um, but I, it, it seems like that's probably the case. To be okay. fair, the reports that we have seen haven't clarified either way because right. they are all sort of hearsay in general. So we don't really know what the exact terms of the agreement would be. Yeah, and and just to clarify that passive aggressive uh, moment from that uh, from Sony's response, HT, you were talking about uh, how they said that they don't this this doesn't allow Kevin Feige time to work on IP that Disney doesn't own. I think Disney does own Spider-Man, right? Yeah, like that's they, actually an incorrect statement. Okay, uh, so they own Marvel, which owns Spider-Man, but Sony is licensing the the film rights to spider-man is that how it all shakes out yes okay yep, that's it all right i think i think we cleared that up um so brad i know you wrote about this originally while we were sort of reacting to it in real time on the podcast but um so i, I want to get your general thoughts on this and then also maybe maybe right before that if you could provide us with several of the updates that have happened since this news initially broke yeah uh well first of all i think this is a travesty um, regardless of whether or not you think disney deserves more money this just creates a clusterfuck for the marvel cinematic universe and for the future of spider-man uh i mean you don't necessarily need superheroes to cross over into spider-man movies to make them successful but we're talking about spider-man movies that would probably have the inability to reference anything or any characters that have happened in the marvel cinematic universe because he's no longer part of it and sony would be, no longer be working with marvel and like we're talking about a franchise that has even when superheroes don't appear in that franchise Peter Parker specifically mentions them, you know, when he thinks maybe he needs help or something like that. And like he specifically mentions Captain Marvel and Doctor Strange and, and Thor in Spider-Man Far From Home. And that's just going to be something that doesn't pop into his head anymore. You know, like no one's going to think about wh where are the Avengers when this stuff is going on or anything like that. So uh, it's just I just think it creates a, a real mess uh, narratively for both Marvel and, and Sony. But um, interestingly enough, uh, it's it seems like these conversations are ongoing. Uh, you know, it's that this isn't necessarily a done deal yet, where they're just giving up and walking away. It sounds like maybe they're still talking, and Disney might have uh, potentially, you know, wanted to put this information out there and kind of rile up fans so that Sony can see, look, guys, you're gonna really fuck this up if you don't want to renegotiate with us. But uh, it seems like um, one of the interesting things about the future of the Spider-Man franchise is that originally it was said that both uh, Tom Holland and director John Watts were on board for two more Spider-Man movies at Sony. But John Watts apparently is not signed for any more Spider-Man sequels. And so if he were to stay involved, he would have to negotiate a new contract. So there's no uh, confirmation or certainty that he would be back for whatever Spider-Man 3 would be, presumably homeless, uh, <laughs> as I predicted long ago. <laughs> um, and wait, wait, let me uh, stop you really quickly. Do we know if Tom Holland is actually signed? Has anybody confirmed that? Tom Holland is contracted for two more movies, so he's okay. he he. No matter what, like he would have to be in in those two movies unless you know something crazy were to happen, and okay. he would pull out. I would presume have to pay a penalty or something like that. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not an entertainment lawyer. <laughs> um. So yeah, and then uh, last we heard is that apparently this the uh, the deal the the, nego the negotiations um, when they were breaking down was that Disney wanted a. A 30% stake, and that, and that's when the negotiations kind of broke down, and now we're we're where we are now, where we're not sure exactly what's happening. If Sony and Mar uh, Disney slash Marvel are gonna work this out, or or what's going on, it is just it is very very frustrating. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that last point was in the original report. It said that Disney wanted a 50/50 co-financing deal with Sony, and then now this this update from the Hollywood Reporter is saying that Disney actually was willing to go down to a a 30% instead of uh, you know an equal 50%, and Sony still didn't take that deal. So. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of you know we, we can argue all day about whose side uh, it, it, you know what might happen. We weren't in those rooms. We don't know what those negotiations were like. Um, Brad, I think you've laid out the case that a lot of people are feeling where it's just you know they're thinking about the MCU and the the impact of that and and what that sure. is going to have on, sure. on the, the storytelling level. Um, and also, I, I feel like we have to consider too just like you have to think about Kevin Feige saved. Sony's ass when it came to Spider-Man. He made Spider-Man viable for them again. Spider-Man Far From Home is now Sony's highest grossing movie of all time. And Tom Rothman is an idiot. Uh, he has <laughs> he has consistently and frequently made shitty decisions, especially with regards to blockbusters. And he was very blind when it came to the, the idea of even having successful comic book movies and thought that they were a fad to begin with. He doesn't get it. He's a moron. He has no vision whatsoever. So him being one of the people behind this decision just shows you how asinine it, like this whole thing really is. Yeah, and he ran Fox for a long time and was one of the people who really didn't understand what was going on, even with like the early X-Men movies. Like he, he, yeah, like you said, thought this whole thing was a fad and just did not understand the right way to to make these films. Um, but HT, I know that you were, were talking a little bit about in our, in our Slack channel about how. Um, you know, it, you just like me and everybody else are, are uh, upset with like what this might do to the uh, creative angle of the MCU. But like the idea, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to put words in your mouth and I don't need to. So like what, what, what is your what are your updated thoughts on this? Well, from a business standpoint, I guess I would say it just um, the whole thing just kind of stinks to me because of how powerful Disney has grown and how much of its weight it's really throwing around without really needing to. I mean, I also agree with you on the creative standpoint and like the narrative standpoint. I I think that Spider-Man has been helped so much by being part of the MCU and Kevin Feige has like brought the Spider-Man franchise back into the light. But um, with Disney's purchase of 20th Century Fox and uh, it basically dominating the box office, right now the summer box office, the top five films uh, are all Disney owned and I think uh, of the top fil- top performing films of all time it's starting to become like dangerously Disney dominated so it's just a matter of um, I guess the the monopoly at stake that mm-hmm. is that Disney is starting to kind of uh, creep into and again like Brad kind of mentioned this does Disney really need more money I understand that this contract was starting to um, it was a deal that was going to end with Spider-Man Far From Home between uh, Disney and Sony and they were kind of re-upping that deal and that's where um, negotiations kind of fell apart um, and that Disney would kind of want to have more of a stake in it because they have been so instrumental in bringing it back into public favor. But I do think that it felt very just um, overly like they were playing hardball in this when they didn't need to. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough because like if you're the king of the mountain, of course, you're going to want to play hardball and, and you're in the position to play hardball. And, you know, having garnered so much public support with 
the good work that Kevin Feige has done building the MCU. They have an army of, of fans at their back now um, to uh, like that they can point to and say, hey, we have all these supporters. So, you know, basically bullying, pe- bullying people into making deals with them. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a it's a tough situation. Uh, but <laughs> apparently Jeremy Renner is the only uh, major actor in the MCU to actually like go out on social media and, and comment on this. Most I, I did a, a huge roundup search yesterday trying to find if anybody else said anything. And it seemed like even you know Tom Holland and, and the people involved with the Spider-Man movies are keeping quiet about this. But Jeremy Renner just apparently doesn't give a crap. So he's out there. Jeremy Renner is a wild card in every sense of the word. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole thing that we've been sort of joking about where he's got like a an archery line or what, I don't even know what he's doing. He has an he's app got now. Yeah, he's got an app. He's got his old music career going. He just seems to be living on his own planet. But he uh, he said, "Hey, Sony Pictures, we want uh, Spider-Man back to Marvel. Please, thank you. Congrats, Spider-Man rocks. Please." <laughs> so like. Um, I mean, I guess there's there's something that somebody uh, in the MCU is actually speaking out about this. Um, I, I suspect. Did even interact with Spider-Man at all? <laughs> I'm trying to think. There may have been one moment on in like the final battle in Endgame where he he may have taken the the gauntlet, but I don't know if he took it directly from Spider-Man or if he was just in that line of succession. No, yeah, um, no, it was uh, Hawkeye gave it to Black Panther, and then Spider-Man took it from Black Panther. Ah, yeah, yeah, missed a, missed a person in there. Um, and then Ryan Reynolds also acknowledged that this was happening. Uh, somebody asked him on Twitter, can we now get a, a Spider-Man and Deadpool movie? And he said, you can, but you can only see it in my heart. So I think as, as of right now, those two are the only people who have actually like acknowledged any of the behind-the-scenes frustrations and, and all of the the rift that's going on here um you know i, I mentioned that disney has like a, a theoretical army of fans at their backs now and we're starting to hear from those fans loudly there's a change.org petition which we all knew was coming because one of those pops up for every little thing that anybody is slightly upset about and over twenty thousand people signed it yesterday when i wrote the article so i'm not even sure what it's up to uh right now but it's you know basically just demanding that uh, Spider-Man stay with Disney in the MCU. I'm not sure if if these people understand exactly how... Oh, wow, I just checked, and it's actually up to 86,000 people now. Um, I'm not sure if these people understand how Hollywood works. Like, I, Peter and I were going back and forth on this yesterday. I don't think a change.org petition has ever actually worked when it's been aimed at a, a major Hollywood production. Uh, the, the closest thing we could come up with was when The Lorax came out, the Dr. Seuss animated movie. Some people uh, petitioned, I think it was Universal or Dream uh, Illumination Entertainment, maybe, whatever the animation studio was, to include some more like environmentally aware uh, materials on their website and in their trailers, and they they gave in and like included some of those materials on the website. So like that, that was as far as as anyone's gotten in terms of like changing a Hollywood production, um, specifically with a, a Change.org petition. Um, obviously, there was the whole like. Uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog thing earlier this year where that the original design of that character did not please a lot of people and then the studio actually gave in and or the filmmakers gave in or however that worked but uh, I don't think a change.org petition had anything to do with that there were um, there was a lot of uh, uh, factors that played into Sonic getting a design change including the fact that the filmmakers themselves weren't really uh, pleased with the original designs and wanted to have something that looked more like what the fans wanted anyway Um, and then finally uh, to sort of cap this whole thing off 
there's a Facebook event called Storm Sony and Bring Spider-Man Home to the MCU. And on Halloween, people are planning to storm the Sony Pictures lot in Culver City dressed in Spider-Man costumes to try to, quote, bring our boy home. So I don't know oh exactly, God. like, how they plan on doing that. Um, and... I don't know, guys. Like, the the image of several thousand people dressed up as Spider-Man and gathering at the gates of Sony on, on Halloween is something that, like, a few years ago, I feel like I, I would have been pretty amused by that. But I, I don't know how you guys think about this, but I feel like we're living in such an insane world right now that I... These sorts of... so many other things that they well, could be directing their yes. their energies on. Yeah, there's absolutely that. Um so but like without even calling their their passion and interest into question and and you know putting that under a microscope, just the idea of of a large uh fan-driven effort like this where there's so much anger and and passion right underneath the surface, I just I feel like it's a scarier sort of proposition than it used to be. Like those these sorts of well, things used to just be like you could laugh and look at it as like a harmless thing, but like now I sort of part of me like tenses up when I hear about this. I don't know what, what do you guys think about? Uh, I remember when you were joking when Disney uh, and the Disney Fox deal went down that Disney were now our corporate overlords. This very much feels like it's the case. Yeah, now. yeah. Um, um, we are just um, you know subject to the whims of these corporate overlords, mostly Disney because they own eighty percent of the entertainment industry now. Yeah, Brad, what do you make of this uh, this Spider-Man costume protest? You know, I mean, we'll see how many people actually show up and, and do it. So, so many of these petitions are just, you know, kind of empty, uh, quote-unquote, threats, if you will. And, right. you know, it's, it's easier to say, oh, yeah, I'll do this on the Internet than it is to actually go do it. If anything, it just seems like a, a, something that's probably kind of following in the footsteps of that Area 51 viral thing that's going around where people are going <laughs> to apparently storm Area 51 because they can't stop all of us. And it's like, <laughs> well, they're a military, so they kind of can. Do um, you know, actually, really quick, a sidebar. Do you know the details of that? Is that supposed to have happened was, already or is that like still scheduled to happen? Or what's the deal I, with that? I like, I totally missed it. I only heard it like in the aftermath, I guess, or maybe it was, it hasn't happened yet, but I remember there was actually a sort of a military uh, meeting that was held because this Area 51 thing, and it's basically a meme, was it's getting, was gaining it, so much traction. It's scheduled for September 20th. Okay, oh, wow. So it's, it's still, like, set to happen. Yeah, um, yeah and, like, they're all going to do the Naruto run, which is the, the style of running from an anime called Naruto, in which the guy, like, runs with his arms backwards because he's a ninja. Oh, <laughs> and... It's hilarious and terrible, and I don't know what's happening with the world. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to solve it on this podcast, so I guess we should just move on to our next topic, which is Netflix and the theater chains are struggling to strike a deal for the Irishman theatrical release of Martin Scorsese's new movie. Brad, tell us what's going on here. Well, The Irishman uh, is a new Netflix movie that is supposed to come out sometime this fall, it will premiere first at the New York Film Festival, but it doesn't yet have a release date either in theaters or on Netflix. And that's because Netflix is apparently having a tough time negotiating with some theater chains about how to handle uh, what they want to be a fairly wide uh, theatrical release, presumably the widest theatrical release that Netflix has 
uh, ever given to a movie. And that's uh, mostly because Martin Scorsese said he wanted this movie to have a wide theatrical release. And so they're trying to do the best they can to accommodate him. But because movie theaters are still sticking to their guns when it comes to the traditional roughly three-month theatrical exclusive window that they're allowed to have movies in theaters before they go to streaming or home video, uh, Netflix is having trouble getting that window down to a more uh, a smaller amount of time so they can get it into their streaming library faster. Um, Apparently, the, the last time negotiations broke down, Netflix was really pushing for uh, a 21-day theatrical release, which is what Roma got when it uh, was in theaters last year. It was in theaters for three full weeks before it hit Netflix, and that's the. It seems like that's as long as Netflix is willing to go, and that's just not good enough for uh, AMC Theaters um, and Cineplex, which is a Canadian theater chain. And those are the only two theater chains that are negotiating with Netflix to make this happen. Both Regal and Cinemark uh, are staying out of it. They don't want to deal with Netflix because they already know that they're not going to do what they want to do. And it, this is something that's currently been going on for months. Uh, it's, it's. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily at a standstill, but they clearly haven't figured it out yet because no release date has been announced for the movie. And uh, it, at some, you know, it'll get at least some some kind of a theatrical release, um, like many of Netflix's movies that they've tried to push for. Uh, awards have gotten but usually those smaller releases only last for about a week and they're in uh the, the smaller uh indie kind of theater chains like landmark and alamo draft house so it's uh a complicated situation for the irishman yeah and i remember netflix when they first started they made such a huge deal about how their whole policy was they wanted to make and maybe not when they first started, but when they first started making original content, the whole thing was like, we, um, you know, it it has to be available on our streaming service at the same time that it goes into theaters. That was like a big hard line for them. And I think they've... The day and date release. Yeah, they've slowly, you know, grown a little bit away from that for several like mainstream, uh, you know, potentially award-worthy titles. But this is um, this is a big deal because AMC is like the biggest theater chain in the country, and I, I'm just wondering like you know this this kind of conversation sounds very familiar. This seems like something that Netflix has been struggling with for, for a little while, and then and the theaters have been struggling for a while too. This movie is maybe one of the biggest um, potential crossover type of maybe hits that they could have on their hands. You know, a lot of people are going to be interested in this film, so. From a theater perspective, it makes sense. You you would think it makes sense to sort of allow people to come pay movie, you know, pay money to see it in your theaters. But um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I I'm not as familiar with like the ins and outs and of what exactly is involved with these sorts of decisions. But on a broader level, um, HC and Brad, what do you guys think about like the you know where we are and where we're going with this this sort of rift between Netflix and movie theaters? Yeah, it's an ongoing rift, definitely. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Netflix kind of still acts like a tech company and not like a studio, which is starting to become more like a major studio now because of the amount of films and the amount of television that it's just churning out. And um, it's still like very uh, lacking in transparency when it comes to its numbers. It won't report box office numbers. I think that might have been part of the reason that it's 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 uh, at odds with AMC and other theater theater chains, um, but it's uh, it's an ongoing thing. I remember last year, um, AMC and Regal banned or barred Roma 
from their best picture showcases for mm. the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I don't think has um, is going to be lessening anytime soon until Netflix dramatically changes the way that they approach things. And um, I don't really know the exact details of how Netflix um, gets its films into theaters, but I think it actually has to pay uh, or like like buy oh, out yeah. se several screens yeah, to actually get its well. films yeah. yeah into these theaters. So that's has something to do with it too. It's like very out of the out of the ordinary uh, compared to how like um, regular films are distributed. Uh, it has something to do with the distribution and like cutting out the middleman. I can't say I know the exact. Uh, process that it, that they go through, but I know Netflix is kind of um, bucking that, and that's where AMC it's at odds with AMC and other theater chains. Brad, let me wrap up by asking you this question: If this is is still happening with a movie that's directed by Martin Scorsese, who is somebody who's like a massive champion of film and is like arguably one of the most popular and most well-known filmmakers that we have working in America today. Do you think that this is is going to have a chilling effect on anybody else being lured into uh, work for, you know, to create movies for Netflix? Like the, you know, you've got Netflix throwing money around left and right, and they're obviously going after the top tier, the most top tier talent they can find, you know, A-listers and stuff. But if they're not doing right by Martin Scorsese in terms of their theatrical windows, do you think that this is going to be something where people look at this and think twice about working with Netflix? I think it depends. I mean, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese, I'm sure he knew going into this that there was the possibility that this movie wouldn't, you know, get nearly as wide of a theatrical release as any of his other movies before. But he went with, with Netflix because they were willing to give him the money to make this movie. You know, uh, Paramount turned the Irishman down because they balked at the budget. And they didn't want to make it. So if Netflix is willing to make these movies, it seems like some filmmakers are willing to take that that risk and uh, potentially, you know, a little bit of disappointment by not having it seen on as many screens as it otherwise might, just so they are able to tell the stories that they want to tell. But at the same time, I think that you know, Netflix kind of has to uh, open up a little bit because some of these bigger movies that they want to make, if they want to make legitimate blockbuster movies or big successful movies they kind of need to put them in theaters, I think, because it, it there are plenty of people who aren't Netflix subscribers, and you can, it, it may cost money to put a movie in theaters, but, you know, if it's a movie like this where there's a big draw because you have, you know, Scorsese working with De Niro and Joe Pesci again and Al Pacino joining in, you know, you want to make sure you get as many eyes on it as possible, and putting it in theaters will, you know, bring some money into into Netflix, you know, if, if they do that. And, uh, it's easy to put a smaller movie onto Netflix and just let the views rack up because it doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't cost as as much to do that, and it, you make your money back. But with these bigger movies, I think they've got to be a little bit smarter and maybe play ball. And then, but then, and then again, at the same time, theaters need to like reel back and stop, you know, clinging to this old distribution method. You know, the the streaming game is changing things, and they've got to figure out how to entice customers to get in the theaters, you know, without. Uh, being slavish to this, you know, three-month window. You know, not all movies need three months to sit in theaters. Uh, you know, some of them leave very quickly when they don't do well. And it's just, uh, yeah, the, the only reason that they're doing that is because the theater gets more of the ticket admission price uh, to themselves as the longer a movie stays in theaters. And so it just seems like the theaters just need to figure out a different way to entice customers and make more money.
Yeah, it definitely feels like we're still in a transition period, even though it feels like we've still been having this this conversation for the last, I don't know, three or four years at least. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the ultimate compromise is here, because I, I feel like in five years, you know, the everything will the dust will have settled and a new method will have been found hopefully i don't know who knows check back in with us in five years and find out but uh all right i think that's going to do it for this uh today's edition of slash film daily you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes slash film daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on itunes google podcast overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air also don't forget to rate and review the podcast on itunes tell your friends spread the word about the show any way you can i guess right before we leave let's tell people where they can find more of our work online uh, brad let's start with you uh, you can find me at slashfilm.com all the time, writing all the live long day. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and my own podcast, Go Flix Yourself. And HT? You can also find me writing every day at slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter at htranbui. You can find me writing at slashfilm.com as well. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. Thank you all for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>